The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of Starnes Media Group or KWAM. Jim Shoemaker, Ted Miner, and Richard Redmont are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Good morning and welcome to the program. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Well, I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome to Talk Money. Well, today we have a program that's outlined. We're going to go from policy making to Social Security and is it going bankrupt to if you're in one of those positions that you've now found yourself looking for a job, we have someone here that's going to help us go through the idea of changing your career or maybe you're just saying, I want to completely start over. And that's we got somebody, Richard Redmond's with us in the last part of the program. Ted Miter is in that middle section talking about Social Security. But first and foremost, I want to welcome, welcome Mr. Greg Valliere. He is the Chief U.S. Policy Strategist, AGF Investments. Sir, welcome to the program. Great to be with you, Jim. Well, you know, I am excited about this because I heard you speak uh, in Boston, and we it was a great conversation, and you and I connected, and I like what you were saying, and I think it's important, talking about the economy, tax hikes, debt ceiling, and I just want to dive in and just uh, let our listeners um, hear some of the things that you talk about all the time, first and foremost. Let's lead in and talk about this idea behind the debt ceiling. I I think a lot of our people think that that's critical. What's the problem? And with Congress going back to work now, is this debt ceiling crisis that we're in, are they going to extend it? There's just, I mean, it's amazing where, it's, where we're headed with it. And if they continue to going, how big can it get? I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. Well, I'll tell you, Jim, I think that uh, over the next few weeks, it's going to become at the least an irritant for the financial markets. Maybe something more, because we, ha- we cannot default on our debt. Uh, we-, we love spending money in this city, but you have to sometimes you know, man up, woman up, and do the right thing and raise the debt ceiling. Uh, nobody wants to have their fingerprints on it, but it's got to be done. And uh, everyone right now is still... Uh, Digging in their heels, so it will. It could very well be by mid October a really serious issue because Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is going to run out of money. Well, you know, it's amazing you mentioned her. I was reading something recently about the fact of what she said. A couple of, actually, you know, it's been several months ago. Actually, over I guess in 2018, she made the comment when she was the Fed chairman. She says, um, I, "I think it's unsustainable." Let me see if I can quote it. It, if I had a magic wand, I would take, I would raise taxes and cut retirement spending. That was on October the 30th of 2018. And now she is going to be, you know, she's Treasury Secretary. Does you think that plays yeah. into her thought process? Well, one big flaw in that logic, she does not have a magic wand. <laughs> so I think, I, I think, you know, she, I mean, I, I had a lot of things I'd like to do if I had a magic wand, but no, I, I think the idea of raising taxes is, uh, 
you know, very controversial. There may be some tax increases later this this fall. Uh, but the idea of dramatic spending cuts, I tell you, Jim, I've been doing this for a long time, and I just don't see much appetite to cut spending, not on defense, not on entitlements. And then when you look at retirement plans, do you really want to cut Social Security? Do you have a political death wish? I mean, any politician who says, I want to cut Social Security, gets defeated for re-election. <laughs> so the choices are not very palatable. Uh, eventually, Jim, they will raise the debt ceiling. Uh, every time we go through this, at the last minute, we get it, and I think it will happen this time. But again, I do think the markets could become a little annoyed by this in October. If you just tuned in, my guest is Greg Vellier. He is the chief U.S. policy strategist, AGF Investments. And um, Greg, I, I, I so much appreciate what you're saying and your thoughts. And I, I know we had mentioned and talked about earlier uh, the fact that we've got you know, Jerome Powell is up for re-election mm-hmm. coming up. And I, I mean, when you think about the seven-member board that makes up the federal board of, you know, the, the Fed, the Board of Governors, uh, I had six of them, you know, we only have six now. There's one vacancy. And as mm-hmm. I understand, we have three members that are actually up for reappointment over the next several weeks and months, and, and Jerome Powell being one of them. Do you see that as a problem? And my thoughts are, do you have a, any issues with Jerome Powell being reelected? I think that it's becoming a big political issue among the Democrats, a fight. Many fights are brewing between the progressive left, you know, the Elizabeth Warrens, and the more moderate Democrats. I think the, the left would like uh, Powell ousted because he has not been sufficiently aggressive in regulating the banks. Uh, I would take the opposite view. I think that uh, Joe Biden would be crazy not to re-nominate uh, Jerome Powell. Powell has been maybe the most most dovish Fed chairman in our lifetime. Uh, he's well-liked in the markets. He's well-liked on Capitol Hill. With all the fights that Biden's going to have this fall on taxes, spending, debt ceiling, does he want another one if he nominates uh, this Fed governor, uh, uh, Brainard, who is apparently uh, in the, on the short list as well? Why get into a big, messy fight over the Fed chairmanship when a Powell renomination would easily pass? So I, I do think that Biden will go along with Powell, and I think Powell will keep monetary policy quite accommodative. That's good to know. I mean, the reality is, do you, in your mind, do you see, because there's this upheaval in the re-election process, these guys are all, does that play into this, the stability of the Fed? We try to say the Fed is apolitical. So, but but you just mentioned that that maybe that's not the case, and so can you can you help us understand that a little bit? Just is yeah, it I, is it you understand what I'm asking? I guess. Yeah, I divide it into two, Jim. Number one is monetary policy, and I think they're all pretty much on the same page. That you know we're not going to overdo rate hikes. I think we're still a year away from the first rate hike. You know they'll eventually start uh, reducing their asset purchases. They call it tapering. We'll see that be again during the winter. But monetary policy, I, I think, is something they're all pretty much in agreement on. It's the regulatory policy that has them uh, in, in conflict. And, you know, Elizabeth Warren is very adamant about going after, you know, the banks of Wells Fargo and all these banks she wants to uh, punish. And I think that the, the chairman, Powell, his feeling is let's not become adversarial 
toward U.S. financial institutions. That that's not a good place to be. Uh, so I I think that's where the argument will be. But again, if if Joe Biden does not renominate. Powell, I think the markets will be disappointed. They'll worry about more regulation, and they'll worry we'll get a new Fed chairman in who might, you know, might take a year or so for a new chairman to really uh, learn the ropes. Yeah, that's a great point. And there's a lot to learn when you think Mm -hmm. about it. And, you know, we know this in history. You and I have been this a long time. If you don't have an aggressive Fed chairman that's really thinking about what he's doing, they can be some mistakes in we can pay the price for those mistakes. We've seen that in the past. Question for you. Sure. In your opinion, tax rate heights, estate taxes, capital gains, all that's on the table. What do you think? Well, we got the first clue, and this is a long narrative for many, many weeks to go, but we got the first clue over the weekend when the Ways and Means Committee in the House, which writes taxes, came up with their first proposal. It, it, it could have been worse. It wasn't that bad. Uh, the the corporate rate hikes were lower than what the White House preferred. Uh, capital gains increase was not as big as many people were expecting. It would go from 20 up to 25, plus the Obamacare you know surcharge. Uh, the they are reluctant to do anything on a state tax and step up basis. I think that there's a feeling in the House that they're going to go pretty easy on taxes. The the problem is. In my opinion, they do not have a credible way to pay for this. Uh, they have these very shaky assumptions of dynamic scoring, dynamic growth. They have assumptions on what they can get from more aggressive IRS enforcement, what they can get from drug price negotiations. Uh, I think that there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. And the real pressure on the House Ways and Means Committee, and then the House, and then the Senate, is to show a credible path toward even coming close to paying for all this stuff. You know, one of the things I want to ask you when we come back, we've got to take a break, but you talk about the left, far-left Democratic Party and the middle of the two different parties almost like they're arguing and there's really a splintering effect going on. I want to find out more about that. And then, is this China... U.S. deep freeze mentality. I mean, I just read recently that our biggest export from Los Angeles, this is the director of the Los Angeles, you know, export there that's got all the containers. He said our biggest export right now, three out of four containers have fully loaded with air. Mm. Fully loaded with air. And that's a problem. (laughs) So I want to find out what the U.S. deep freeze is all about. And the far left Biden Democratic Party. We'll come back in just a minute. My guest is Greg Valliere, Chief U.S. Policy Strategist with AGF Investments. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM, the mighty 990. Coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to talk with Ted Miner. We're going to talk about the actuarial status. Ready for that? That's a big word. Actuarial status of the Social Security Trust Fund. Is it in 
trouble. You've heard a little bit about it uh, here on sometimes on KWAM and other news media. And so I've got Ted. He's going to dive into it and kind of help us understand that. But right now, we are talking with Greg Valliere. He is the chief U.S. policy strategist for AGF Investments. Greg, I really I think there's two questions. Number one, I do want to get some insight into this China and deep freeze problem, and I, I think a lot of our people are concerned about that, and uh, and then some of the policy administration, and a little bit about what what we call the modern money theory. I know academics are so heavy on that, and can we just sustain this debt and run it out into the future for our great-great-great-grandchildren and say, don't worry about it. It's going to work. I want to hear, first of all, let's talk with China and the freeze. I like the idea of the cold nature we have between U.S. and China. It's not new. Well, I think that both parties here in Washington are very leery of China right now. Uh, It's not against the Chinese people. It's against the government in Beijing, which has not been transparent on the virus in Wuhan, as we all know. They have hacked into our firms, uh, especially U.S. companies uh, working on vaccines. They treat their dissidents horribly in Hong Kong and in western China. So they don't have a lot of friends here in this town and in both parties. So I suspect you're going to have to wait a while before there's any kind of a thaw. I realize Biden and Xi talked about a week ago, you know, maybe Janet Yellen goes to China during the winter. But in terms of any kind of breakthrough, I I don't see it anytime soon. Okay, that's what I've heard a lot of people talk about. And the fact that it's just come up, you know, it's not new. It's been going on, and and it's a trust mm-hmm. factor, just purely a trust factor. Yep. Well, speaking of trust, the far left of the Democratic Party, the middle of the Democratic Party, what do you see as far as the political climate? Is it shifting? Is it possible that Republicans can uh, pick up the uh, House in the, the next election? Well, two things I'd say, Jim. First of all, there are moderate Democrats, believe it or not, headed by Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who really wants to give this huge $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill a haircut. And I think it will get quite a haircut, and Manchin will lead that effort. The Democrats are in disagreement on this, and one of the reasons why they're pushing so hard to get something this year is that they see the handwriting on the wall. I think that the chances are well above 50% that the House will flip back to the Republicans in the election of November of 2022. A lot of reasons why. Uh, the big one is just history. History shows that a new president in his first midterm election almost always loses seats. Uh, it's rare for that not to happen. Republicans only need a four-seat pickup. I think they'll probably pick up 10 or 12, maybe even 15. So if the House is going to flip next fall, that's a major reason why Biden is trying to do a lot right now. That makes a lot of sense. Any any thoughts about as far as this, when you say this far-left Democratic Party, would I call the mid-group, that the kind of that moderate Democrat, is that, my grandfather used to call them blue dog Democrats. Yeah. Is that it? They're still they're still around. They certainly are not a majority. The the progressives on the left have something like eighty members in the in the house. Maybe the blue dogs have got a dozen, maybe twenty, something like that. So it, it's it's complicated. Uh, the problem is that fifteen or twenty is enough to scuttle a bill. Uh, 
And these Democrats, whether it's Manchin in the House or several, uh, Manchin in the Senate or several in the House, are saying this is way too much money. We can't spend $3.5 trillion. Uh, you go back to this modern monetary theory that believes that deficits don't matter. That's crazy. Uh, when we get over $30 trillion of U.S. debt in the next few years, and we're all getting older, and your next guest is going to talk about Social Security, but we're not going to be able to accommodate these things. We can't spend this kind of money without consequences. Mm, that's uh, consequences. Seem like everybody wants to kick the can down the street. I used to do that mm-hmm. as a kid. It was a lot of fun, but I don't think we can do that with our I, policy. I, I would make this quick point, though. As long as the Fed stays this accommodative, we can handle debt servicing costs. Maybe the party can continue for another two, three years. I don't think the problem is imminent, but you can't keep spending like this year after year after year. That's the modern money theory. Now, from an academic standpoint, we hear about that. Explain that to the audience, what we're talking about when we say the modern money theory. Well, it basically holds that you can spend money and run deficits if rates are really low. And we have to concede, rates are really low. They've stayed low. And if you're going to spend money, this is the time to do it. Trump, ironically, felt the same. Trump talked about huge new infrastructure spending because rates were so low. So that theory might work in the short run. I would, again, argue in the long term, we're going to have some very big bills to pay. Wow. You know, I uh, so much appreciate your time this morning. We've covered an enormous amount of information in a short period of time. I'd like to have you back as we see what goes on in the House over the next couple of weeks. And, you know, we'll kind of dive back in, get your opinion about the economy, tax heights and debt ceilings. It's always good to talk with Mr. Greg Vallier, strategist. He's the chief U.S. policy strategist for AGF Investment. Sir, thank you. Have a great day. Appreciate you so much. We'll have you back. You too. I enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Well, you know, again, it's always important for us to bring you information that is infecting you right now in your day-to-day walk. And the bottom line is what Mr. Valier said was we've got economic issues, tax hikes, debt ceilings, but there is one that we have to talk about, and that is the Social Security Fund. Those of you who are listening, is it on track? My guest, Ted Miner. Ted Miner, Welcome to the program, sir. Jim, I'm excited to be here. Good. I am glad to have you, sir. And as always, it's good to just get into a subject that I promise is uh, is uh, disturbing to some people, if you, if I can say that. And we, we just, you know, this whole idea of been the actuarial study, uh, the August 2021 report, and I know it's been reported on the news, there's a target out there. You want to talk about the target? Well, uh, I tell you, first of all, I want to talk about, you know, the headlines that cause a lot of people to really get scared about the uh, about the Social Security. And they talk about the trust fund. And the trust fund is just part of the funding of Social Security benefits. The largest percentage, 76% of the funding of Social Security benefits, come from everybody's paycheck. That's, uh, you know, it happens every week. And uh, everybody has an income. They get Social Security taken out of. And that part of the funding of Social Security, I want to say this to the people out there because they panic when they read these headlines about the trust fund, but that part of the funding of Social Security is good for another 75 years till 2095. Now, you may, someone may ask, well, what about the other 24 percent? 
and that's where you're talking about this trust fund. And the headlines are all about the trust fund. Every year we get this trustee report, and it just came out in August 2021. So you get these headlines that talk about Social Security fund. So the Social Security fund trust fund is on track to uh, go bust by 2033. So that fund, let me just address that fund was set up in 1939. It was set up because at the time we were collecting more money for Social Security benefits than we needed. So we continued to put money in that fund. And this is the first year that we're having to draw from that fund. Today, there is $2.9 trillion as of the beginning of the uh, of this, this particular year. Fiscal year, right. Uh, that is in that fund. That, 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 that money is invested very conservatively. And it will be gone in 2033 if we do nothing about it. But you know, Ted, and I know what you're saying. The reality is that's 2023, 2033 this year. This That's what they're predicting now. That's correct. 2020 was 2034. Right. But we every year is an alarming number. It's a, it's a oops, wake-up call mentality. Well, this is the, the, the trustee report which is 276 pages, by the way, comes out every year. You've read all 276? Uh, no, but I have schemes. I have schemes. I've looked over the okay. abbreviated This reports. afternoon, we're going to get together. That's right. you. It, that, I, and when I looked and saw it was 276, that's why I decided just look at abbreviated, abbreviated. reports. <laughs> read the cliff notes. I got you. But there's there's tons of information. And, and I it even goes into, Jim, it goes into the details about the child birth rate in the United States and how it will affect it in the future. All right. When we come back, I want to really talk about that's a lot of money and how we're going to manage it, how we're going to keep it going for our public. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Financial professionals do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. Always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And welcome back. My guest is, uh, well, we've got two guests in the studios. Let me tell you what's coming up. Right now, Ted Miner's talking about Social Security, and is it in trouble? Is the trust fund going to be around? We've got some numbers. We're talking about that. We've just come out with the actuarial studies in the August 2021 report. But coming up later is Richard Redmott's going to talk about career transitioning and some moves and this great resignation that took place in April. And uh, he's going to give us some, some ideas and some pointers about what to do if you found yourself unemployed. You need to stay with us. That'll be important. Ted, I tell you what, guy, you, you can rock everybody's heart when you talk about the Social Security. I mean, even, you know, Greg talked about it earlier when he said if you touch, if the politic person, the politician, touches Social Security, he loses his race. You know, I think what he said is an important thing for people to think about, because when it comes up and you start talking about is Social Security going to be around, most everybody, there's a huge segment of our population that's dependent on it, and they vote. Oh, and I and think they that's important. Quickly vote. I mean, they don't <clears throat> hesitate to vote, and I think that's important. So when you talk about $2.9 almost two point, almost $3 trillion dollars, in the trust fund, that is not chump change. Last time I checked, that's a lot of zeros. But you know what, Jim, here in the last year or so, uh, 
I can remember. I, it hadn't been that long ago before you'd never heard of a tree, and oh, we've heard no. tree and kicked around a lot tree lately. Is nothing, you and, know. and so the fact that that money can be gone and and uh, uh, and oh, till uh, by 2033 is amazing. Here's a thought: 1939 is when they started the trust fund. Have we ever taken from the trust fund in the past? This will be the first year of taking from that fund, and we'll deplete that by 2033. That's a big ticket right there that that's got to shock a lot of people and so it sounds like this is serious is there anything at this point being done about it i mean are we can we can i can we say to the people listening at this point that i mean i know there's been some things the trustees let me read a quote from the trustees this is kind of the thought i think it's important now by the way the chairman of the trustees happens to be secretary treasurer and that's Janet Yellen, and so former Fed chairman. So she's got the know-how, the knowledge, the experience. But here's what the trustees have said to the lawmakers. This is Congress, okay? Lawmakers have many policy options that would, it would reduce or eliminate the long-term financing shortfalls in Social Security and Medicare. Notice what I said. Notice what's being said here. This is a quote. Policy options that would reduce... Or eliminate, keyword eliminate, lawmakers should address these financial challenges not yesterday, but as soon as possible. They're not talking about come up here, and I'm, I'm kind of I'm adding to, I'm pontificating here, but its bottom line is as soon as possible. Here's the last sentence. Taking action sooner rather than later will permit consideration of a broader range of solutions and provide more time to phase in changes so that the public has adequate time to prepare. That that reminds me of uh, <laughs> End of quote. a quote from Winston Churchill <laughs> that said that you can always depend upon the Americans to do the right thing <laughs> after they've done everything else. After they've done. The reality is, I mean, that's a very straightforward, do something, do it now, make sure that you're eliminating it and do as much as you can, but give Americans a chance to prepare if you're going to have to make some changes that, that may change the numbers. I mean, don't tell me that my, my you know, 10 years from now, my check's going to drop by 25%. And there are some things that are that are looming out there. There's a bill right now, John Larson from... Uh, from Connecticut has a, a bill that he has called Social Security 2100 a sacred trust that he is uh, if it's not a, if he hasn't introduced it yet it's it's, it's uh, likely that it'll be later this month and in that bill one of the th- there's three things that he's going to try to accomplish in that bill number one is they're going to do this it's a donut hole I think Biden kind of came came up with it but they're going to uh, propose that Social Security taxes be collected on income over four hundred thousand dollars so. Today it's collected on the first 142,800, so they wouldn't collect from 142,800 up to 400. But once you hit 400, they start collecting Social Security taxes again. So that's a, that's part of the new bill. The other part of this bill is to they want to try to accomplish raising the benefits uh, by two percent. They want to try to make it where Social Security is a little bit more helpful than what it is today. And the other thing we actually talked about this last time I was here, they want to tie the benefits to a new index, an index that's set up for the elderly that's a little bit more 
uh, attuned to their expenses than just the overall expenses. Just the, the regular normal expenses. I mean, obviously, the elder the elder person today is looking at different expenses than the thirty five year old, fifty five year old, seventy five year old. Even you get into the eighties, there's just medical costs there. So I read about that too. That this is a bill that he's kind of got a big. I don't know how much of this is going to get passed. We'll have Greg come in and tell us what actually happens on on the hill. But the bottom line is. There is there are ways to make a, a change. Absolutely, I but mean there, there's a, there's a there's a number of things. As a matter of fact, I've got a a quote a quote that even talks about what can be done to s- solve it. I mean to solve it just completely. Uh, AMG came out with their by the numbers thing, and they said this. <clears throat> they said that the uh, that if you were to raise Social Security payroll tax from twelve point four to fifteen point seven six, that would resolve it for the next seventy five years. That, that would eliminate it. And that's now, that, amazing. That's a big That's big though. Say that again. Make sure we everybody gets that. <clears throat> Today, we collect uh, 12.4% from paychecks for Social Security. Right. If you raised it uh, 3.36% to 15.76%, uh, it would uh, solve it for the next 75 years. And that's just simply people paying a larger payroll tax. It, it is, but and that's not that's without raising the uh, the wages. Right. I mean, if you raise the wages, you can mess around with the ages. I mean, another thing is when Social Security started in 1935, uh, retirement age was 65. We 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 are now in uh, 80 years later, and we've moved it from 65 to 67 full retirement age, and. The benefits, uh, uh, the life of expectancy has increased by 20 years, but we've only moved the retirement age up too. So there's things that can be done with that. We could move another three or four years or two years. A lot of people don't like to hear that, but those are the things that can be done to to solve the issues with Social Security. You know, there's so much to do. I know we have a meeting today at the office that's going on and there's things like that. And so many people talk about that. Social Security to a lot of people is a conversation that uh, just is never you never through with that conversation. It's a never ending conversation because it's 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 so as you said, so many people depend on it. But the reality is, um, maybe it's not everybody understands it. Yeah, and 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 when I saw this headline, that's the thing that concerns me is because I get people that come in and they they see these headlines, but they don't they don't realize that the fund. It was made up of surplus, and the fund is not where the, the most of the money comes from. And there's things that could be changed. As a matter of fact, that fund goes away by 2033, but they're only pulling about $100 billion from it this year. Of course, that continues to go up. How and, many oh, zeros is that $100 billion? I know. It's, <laughs> le- it's less than a trillion. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Hey, all right. So so there are things that can be done. You could... Uh, you could say a person in retirement that uh, that has income over a certain amount doesn't get Social Security. I mean, there's a number of things that can be done. And it is, as you said, there are many people that rely heavily on that Social Security paycheck. And it's important to them. Well, I think people have to come to grips with the fact that you we're planning for it. Continue to plan for it. Don't stop planning for it. Know that we have to depend that the lawmakers... And I think there is that sense that there is that urgency to do something. As you said, there's a bill right now from the senator from from Connecticut that's got some changes in it. I think people are just all looking at it. I think we need, as the public, need to be saying, fix it. 
because you can't let it just go away. Well, you've got the trustees that are saying fix it. Fix it, it too. Yeah. But we should be as the public saying fix it because we're the recipients. We're the ones that's going to get paid to, to, to for this for our lifetime. And again, you said people, you know, I can remember we had a mortality table of 73, 74. You retire at 65. You were, you know, pretty much that's all you needed. Today, we're talking about 90. So people need to understand it is an important facet of everybody's retirement plan. I do think that another thing for people out there, I mean, for plan, from a planning standpoint, if I've got clients in their 50s, I don't, this is opinion, this is just my opinion, I don't believe that they're going to be impacted greatly by the people that are close to it. I do believe that the younger people are going to uh, are going to be impacted. There'll be some some numbers that'll change for them. No question about it. If you'd like to talk to Ted, his telephone number is seven five seven five seven five seven. Eric code nine zero one seven five seven five seven five seven. Coming up, Richard Redmont, Career Coaching Network, interviewing. By the way, you don't do it personally anymore. Now it's done via Zoom. How do you do a good Zoom? You don't do a Zoom interview for a job if you're in your pajamas. Remember that. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Neither Securian Financial Services nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Greg Valliere or AGF Investments. The views and opinions expressed are those of Greg Valliere only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. My guest is Richard Redmont. We're talking about career coaching. And, uh, you know, the reality is, would you believe in April of this year, two point almost, well, excuse me, four million people, almost four million people quit their jobs. And uh, that's the largest monthly quit ever recorded in U.S. history. Now, that's called the great. I mean, it's amazing. The great resignation. 24% of Americans today of 2,000 that were surveyed said they're planning on looking for a new career. Well, Richard, welcome to the program, sir. Oh, thank you, Jim. Glad to be here. You know, when we talk about, I mean, I talked about Zoom before the break, and of course, uh, don't do a Zoom call in your pajamas. I mean, especially <laughs> if you're trying to get a job. I get it. But reality is the old personal walk into somebody's office, a handshake, and sit down and have a dialogue eye-to-eye is pretty much gone in, in some interviews. And so a lot of people are having to do. So I know that's changed outside of just that mindset of having to do an interview, a job interview via Zoom. What else has changed in the job search and the job market today? Um, it's just the whole, like you mentioned, the whole it's just not as personal. You're not walking in. Um, you're not walking in face-to-face. Um uh, sitting there. Uh, people do multiple Zoom interviews. Um, and in, in doing that, you have to be real careful for how you present yourself. Um, because when we walk in on a personal basis, we wear our, our suit, our tie, um, we dress up, comb our hair. But when we're doing Zoom, we forget sometimes. And we do things like we don't recognize. We wear pajamas in a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it may be some things as simple as the lighting behind you. Where you, where you set up uh, your camera. And if you have the sun coming through, it can be very distracting so the person can't focus on you. Um, it can be that you're not looking into the camera. 
Mm, so, that's a great point. So you're not if you're not looking into the camera, you'd be looking into their eyes if you were sitting right across from them uh, in a, in a traditional interview. So the uh, the reality is practice before you just decide to do one. And you know, for a lot of people, that's not something they do every day. I not mean, you know, not at all. It's a whole new world. Starting 18 months ago, the whole world changed. The whole job landscape landscape changed. Excuse me. And another thing that I like to help advise people uh, when I'm coaching them is to put as simple as put a smile sticker on their computer. And the reason is, is when we start thinking about what we're going to say, a lot of times we'll go inward and all of a sudden the smile comes off our face and we become a whole lot less personable. Great point. And when you're trying to, in an interview, they're trying to evaluate not only can you do the job, but do you fit in to their organization? Will the people want to work with you? And what, about, what about the idea between and people now going and saying, well, I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to work from home. I know that's a lot of people are doing that. And still, you know, we have not seen the, the migration back into the office like I would have anticipated by the end of the summer. And obviously with the Delta variant, that's creating all kinds of issues there. But companies are still having people work from home. What about that? Talk about that when you talk about a job interview. Yeah, I believe that's going to be uh, permanent in a lot of cases for for jobs. They're going to stay at home. They're not going to come back. There's going to be the real estate piece that we'll talk about um, another day. Um, But it's going to be cheaper to keep these folks at home. And um, also, when you start interviewing, you're going to have to change your messaging to demonstrate how you've done that well. Like, how well have you worked on a team in the Zoom environment? Mm, how, yes. how have you pulled together an organization that way? And that's something we've never had to do before. Uh, Jim, you know, one of the things I was thinking about when you talked about the, the great resignation, there's a number of people out there. I, I'm thinking of three people that I work with right now that they are, they've got a great job. They are working from home. And if they have to go back to work, they will retire. I mean, they are they are they are basically waiting to see how the environment's going to change. But if they're called back to go into back into the office, they're going to make a decision to to resign. Well, they're old enough to retire, to, but they'll to continue retire. to work as long as they're working from their home. So, do you feel? And again, I'm asking both of you: Is this thing of working from home is that going to be a is that going to enter into the whole idea of job placement where you're going to find a job? So if, I, if I'm saying I'm not going to work from home, am I going to be looking for a different type job? Or if I say I'm not going to go to the office, is that making a difference? I've, I've actually read an article where companies are now using that as a benefit. They're listing that as a benefit. So a benefit is you can work from you home. You can work from home. And they may say you work from home three days at a, three days a week. Uh, that, that, that's actually a benefit now that they're listing in their from their HR department. And where that comes into is for individuals, some people love that idea. Mm-hmm. Some people, I don't want to say it's introvert versus extrovert, but some introverts, would they're fine working in a setting where they're at home and they're just working, working away, having Zoom calls. Other people, like myself, I'm an extrovert. I need to be around people. Need to be around people. I need to be I around people. And I feed off that energy. What you're saying that you've got to go through and you've got to change your messaging. If you're doing an interview, you've got to describe that. And and it's not a personal thing. I mean, I don't care how much you try to make Zoom personal. It's not personal. And so you've got to convey. So, I mean, help me, Richard. How do I change my messaging in a Zoom call? 
Um, a lot of it takes practice. So you storytelling, um, everybody remembers a story. Like I can list off facts and 10 minutes from now, people won't be able to tell that back. If I tell them a good story, they'll tell me about it 15 years from today. Wow. Okay. That's a great point, telling a story. That makes a lot of sense, a story about yourself, about your life, about you, but make it a story. I, and how it worked. So I was working on a team, and we were doing it all by Zoom, and we used to meet every day or at a certain time, and this is how we pull this together, and we were able to make the project great happen, advice. and it did not. we did not have to physically be right there. But that's so, a that's it, a great communication. Yeah. So if you tell that story, that employer knows, okay, they've done it before because you don't just make stories up like uh, that. That's great stuff. That's great stuff. You just tuned in. Richard Redmond, he is with Career Coaching Network. You can give him a call at 757-5757. Telling a story, that is a big deal. I like that idea. The whole thought of we did this, this is how we did it. We struggled with this. We had this problem, but we were successful with this. But it's a story. It's not, well, I worked on a Zoom call, da-da-da-da-da, you know, just fact after fact after fact. That is great stuff. That's um, taking your resume and blowing it into a novel. I, I think that's a great idea. What are some of the, you know, things that you're telling people to do in addition to telling the story? I mean, things that they need to be looking at as far as career changing. Uh, in career changing, the single most important thing I believe is starts with what is it exactly that you want to do? And I go through an exercise with the people that I coach. Uh, if every job paid exactly the same, what would you do? And they have to go and do it for about an hour and a half and not talk to anybody. For me, that's really, really hard. That's a penalty. <laughs> <laughs> that's really, really hard for the people that know me. Um, but you write down the list, and you don't evaluate each of them. You just write them down, and then we go back and see which ones don't make sense afterwards. Um, either you can't make enough money doing that, so it may be turned into a hobby that you could do that brings you happiness and joy, which is part of this process, which is good. Um, or it may be something that maybe at a certain age somebody d decides they don't want to go back to school for a certain number of years, uh, that sort of thing. And we help evaluate. It's a it's a longer process, but longer than the show has. But um, but I work with people on this every week. I still like your idea of messaging, but, but, but now you're saying not only the messaging telling the story, but telling the story about what you've done, but you're also kind of saying telling a story about what you want to do. Exactly. And this, why I think it's the most important thing is knowing what you want to do is because that's going to impact your 45-second commercial when you walk up to somebody and they say, hey, what are you doing? And you say, hey, I'm out of work. But this is what I'm looking to do. And when you tell someone very specifically what it is that you want to do, where you want to do it, the type of people you want to meet, then their brains are triggered. At that point, they're going to think of who it is instead of, hey, I'm out of work and I'm just looking for a job. Does you find then when you say I'm looking for a job, is networking as important as it was 10 years ago? It's unbelievably important. Okay. It's, I believe it's the sole way to get there. Um, you network and you can network both to help figure out exactly what it is that you want to do if you're trying to evaluate a couple of things and I've got some techniques that I can help people with to do that but also networking where I call it the pick your brain strategy where you say hey Ted I'd like to meet with you I'm trying to figure out some things I want to pick your brain much greater to get that to get that appointment Wow, pick your brain Mal, great stuff man I mean Richard very good stuff 
Well, you've been listening to KWAM, the Mighty 990, right here on AM 990 and FM 107.9. I want to thank my guests, Greg Valliere, earlier in the program, and Ted Miner and Richard Redmont from Shoemaker Financial. If you have questions for Greg, Ted, or Richard, you can call them at 757-5757. Next week, my guest, Scott Jordan, what the media is talking about and what you need to know. Also, Drew Johnson will be here. We'll be talking about how do you manage a mutual fund manager. Well, that's a, just important, important. And Margaret Lawrence from SOS, Serving Our Seniors, she'll be talking, talking about how we help keeping our seniors staying active, self-reliant, and excited about life. That's Wednesday and Saturday morning right here on KWAM, the Mighty 990 at 9 a.m. If you have questions, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We will get your questions on the air. Thanks for listening. We so much appreciate it. You're a part of the program. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Ted Miner and Richard Redmont are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. 